Good morning. This morning we begin a new study on the book of Joshua, which you'll find on page 178 in the Pew Bible. It's the sixth book, if you don't have a Pew Bible and not sure where it is. Uh, you have a handout. We're not going to go over the handout specifically in worship. It is a way, as I say at the top of that page, to give you some biblical bearings. I always love those uh, when you still go into a mall to find the map, you are here, right? (laughs) And so that paper is supposed to help you know where am I in the biblical story uh, here in Joshua chapter 1. Briefly, after the introduction of the first 11 chapters in the Bible that sets the course for human fallenness and failure and And God acts in chapter 12 to initiate his great plan of salvation that moves throughout the whole of Scripture. One of the key elements is the formation of the people of Israel and their receiving the promised land, which is a symbol of our receiving the whole earth and the new creation. And here we are, finally, after their uh, escape from Uh, The deliverance from Egypt in Exodus brought all the way through to right now on the border of the land of Canaan. It's been called On the Edge of a Promise, and I like like that name. So, Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them and to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, For the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions. For within three days you were to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, 
Joshua said, remember the Lord that Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives us rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Thus the reading of God's word. We're going to look at the way God fulfills his promise to us, the way he fulfills the promise to the people here to bring them into the land. And there are three ways he promises he will do it through his presence, by his precepts, and through the unity of his people. You see his promise of his presence uh, it, it frames really this whole section from verse 5 to verse 9. He begins, I will be with you, and he ends with, I will be with you. And it's interesting that the very name of God, Yahweh, is a kind of shorthand for this phrase, I am with you. When back in Exodus 33 and 34, uh, Moses asked what his name would be, uh, and, and even earlier he asked this question, he said, I am that I am. Kind of a puzzle name, it seems, and some have taken it that way. Some will say, this means that God escapes any name. This means that every name is inappropriate. This is his refusal of any name. This is the expression of the hiddenness of God. Or Aquinas says, it means he's, he's saying, I am he who is. I am being itself. Yeah, Moses, go tell that to the Israelites. That will encourage them. Just know God is being itself. What would that mean to them, right? They don't need a metaphysical philosophy of who God is. And John Frame asks, in that situation, what would that help, how would that help Israel to know that God is going to deliver them? No, as we have come to understand, this I am means I am yours, I am Lord of creation and all that I am and have is yours and is devoted to your good. That's what I am means. And there's a presentness to it, see? I am right now in every way all of this for you. It's a blank check in a way. I'm with you for anything and everything you need. 
And so his very name, Yahweh, means that. I am with you. There is no other God but that God. That's the God you pray to. That's the the God who is over all things. And you can see this even further as you see Jesus use that very phrase to say, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. You see? It's just understood. I am all of these things for you. It's a declaration of God's grace and mercy and strength for us. And when he tells Joshua to be strong, it's not possibility thinking, right? You can if you think you can. Be strong, Joshua, because I am strong and I am with you. That's how you are strong. That's how you can be strong. Because I am with you and I am for you. It calls to mind Psalm 124 verse 8 where he says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I am with you. The Lord who made heaven and earth. I am your help. I'm Yahweh. So it is God who's our bodyguard, our our backup, our military police escort, our air cover, our supply line is overflowing, ever-present warehouse of all that we need to serve him and to make known his name for us individually, for our families, for all of our relationships and responsibilities in the midst of all of our enjoyments in the, in the church itself, every aspect of your day and life can be marked by this awareness, God is with me. All of God is all in at all times with me, with us, with his people everywhere. And of course, this is in the context of a mission. It's especially as we are at mission in this world to make Christ known, to live out Christ in every aspect of our lives. In the obstacles and opposition and the fears and the challenges and the difficulties and the risks and failures of mission, under attack and bombardment and persecution around the world, Brothers and sisters, you have a choice to be four kinds of churches, as several have said. You can be a museum church. You've been to them in Europe. That's all it is. It's a museum. You can be a maintenance church. You're just trying to hold on to the way things have always been. Just hold on, hold on as you fade into the sunset. You can be a ministry church. So all the program, there's a lot of life, a lot of activity, everything's happening, and it's all inward. Or you can be a biblical church, and that's a mission church. Which one will it be, you see? God is with us not to be a museum or maintenance or just ministry. That's included, yes. And you call people to a lively uh, a life of love and, and a life of learning to sacrifice and learning to be united and to get involved in each other's lives. That's part of mission. 
But without mission, what is the ministry for, ultimately? It's a ministry and mission church. So how well are we realizing his constant presence and enjoying the benefit of it, refreshing ourselves daily in the truth of it, in everything that God gives us to do? Not, of course, just you know, ecclesiastical things, what we might call spiritual things, but every single aspect of our lives. And when he says to be strong and courageous, it may be a certain term that that means be unshakably courageous, right? Doggedly courageous. In the midst of large tasks and responsibilities, in witnessing, in taking a stand, in persecution and opposition, in loss of friendships and possession, but also in the face of desires that oppose God, in the face of temptations. Be courageous in facing your own sin, admitting your own patterns, come, coming face to face with yourself in the light of good news of salvation. So in every way... Be strong and courageous because God is with you. And, and, and part of this is to recognize that God's, the opportunity for God's power, the opportunity for God's blessing is always before us in every situation because he's always with us. There are no small days. There are no small activities in that sense. Everything is his open door to know him. Everything is his setup to accomplish his will. I want to underscore kind of a larger aspect of his being with his church by reminding you of a passage that is at the end of 1 Corinthians 3 that we quote a lot. But Paul here is dealing with people's... uh, Hanging on to one teacher or another. Like, I like Paul better. I like Apollos better. I like Cephas or Peter better. And he says, why are y'all arguing over each one of these things? Not only are all these teachers yours, he says, all things are yours. He goes off and says, you know, the world is yours. Life and death is yours. Everything is yours. Things present and things to come. And what does he mean by this? And this, here's the aspect of God being with us that I think is really important for us to understand. It means that all things are designed to promote the interests of the church. We, we, we said as much when we said, who can be against you when God is for you? But for God to be for us means all things become his servants to promote his ends. Think of that sense of God being with you, with all things, for you, you see. It's not just this narrow little thing. It's like everywhere you look, all these things, everything is for you. I used to work at Goodyear. We had, at the time, the largest tube plant in the world in Gadsden, Alabama. And I was a tube inspector. Uh, In the main, I did other jobs. But in this plant, the tube plant, the tire plant, the shipping department, the power plant, accountants, supervisors, secretaries, floor sweepers, inspectors. We call them inspectors, not inspectors. Tire builders, curing machines, cutting machines, computers, bathrooms, vending machines, a clinic, a guardhouse, a parking lot, and a golf course, which was attached. 
where I played as well, okay. But what was all that for? Everything down there, including the soap and candy bars, was in some way or form contributing to the production and marketing of tubes and tires. Everything. Everything, Paul says, is yours. Everything is devoted, ultimately, under the hand of God for your good. And so everything on earth, you might say, is part of God's machinery to build his church. He fetches every one of his children. He plans for their birth. Think of the family planning before the world began. He grows each one of them up in the likeness of Christ, gathers them safe and sound into his eternal home. And every part of creation ultimately is a tool in God's hand to cut and fit and well together his church. Every part of history is a piece of his specially engineered machinery that helps to build the church. All things are yours. Particular leaders at particular time, no matter what their personal designs, no matter the extent of their wickedness and hatred of God and his people, each one of them will be used by God to accomplish the positive purposes he has designed for his people. He is with you. He is with his church. And that means he is over all things. The Lutheran commentator Linsky writes here, It is as if the multitude of servants surrounded us and on bended knees held out their precious offerings to us. Some of these servants, like pain, injury, sickness, grief, and death, may at first have a strange look to us who do not know our own royalty sufficiently. If you don't understand your royalty, if you don't understand the glorious designs God has for you, you'll see these things in a different light. But each one of them will be used by God to accomplish the positive purpose he has designed. Okay, so... Even life and death, which we don't have time to talk about, but not only the life and death of his people, but the life and death of everybody is working for the end of God's people. And so all of world history amounts to a nursery for the kingdom of God, a greenhouse for the planting and watering and feeding of his people so they grow strong in Jesus. All things are yours God is with you. He's using all his little elves in history to accomplish the work of blessing. They're just his instruments. They're just ultimately his servants. The working out of history is primarily the working out of the salvation of his people. I love the title of Susan McCauley's book, She was a daughter of Francis Schaeffer, and she wrote a book called For the Children's Sake. It was on education. What a great title for the whole of history. For the children's sake. For the sake of the children of God. That's what everything, why everything ultimately is happening. Even in the destruction of Jerusalem, Jesus says, those days are going to be cut short. Why? For the sake of the elect. That's why I do everything. It's for the sake of my people. 
So, God fulfills his promises by being with his people. He fulfills his promises by his precepts through our obedience to his precepts, our obedience to his word. And so it's interesting. He not only says be strong and courageous to take the land, but he says be strong and courageous to do the word of God. I love that. The daring proposal to obey the word of God. The daring proposal to be strong, courageous, do the will of God. As God will give you grace to do that. To manifest the love of Christ in this world. John Frame calls it moral heroism. Moral heroism. Because ultimately, as, we'll, as you know, the word of God doesn't just call us to do this or that thing. Ultimately, it calls us to follow Jesus Christ, to live out his sacrificial love in this world. He calls us to this daring, moral, uh, uh, moral heroism, to love in sacrificial, bold ways as Jesus did. But what's the means here? The means is meditation. The means is to be constantly marinated, to be freshly watered by this word. How the idea is a person just hunched over, studying every detail, trying to extract every little ounce of goodness out of something. But also, perhaps especially here, because the word meditate means to mumble quietly. It's something done out loud. It, it must include, and maybe the emphasis is, discussion among the people of God. In community, a community, all of us shaped by this word. All of us meditating, all of us, in a sense, mumbling together saying together to each other this precious word of God, helping to speak it into each other's lives, helping to encourage each other, obey it. Meditation ultimately is this bridge from my head, from the pages into my life. In fact, you and I, and, and this convicts me hugely, you and I need to be uneasy until it gets into our life. I love to see a dog of this type who gets a bone. And he is not happy until he can bury that bone safely in the ground, right? And some dogs like this, I've seen them before. They just are like nervous. They just look at you, give them this dog, and they're looking around. They're like, are you going to go away so I can go bury this thing? You know, that, that you have the bone, but I've got to bury it. And, and so the word of God, you want to bury it into your life. You want to see it become flesh and blood. It's like you've received a seed. What are you going to do with that seed? I'll just go sit and put it on a shelf. What's the seed for? It's to be planted in my life. It's to be watered and and pruned and nurtured so that it produces its fruit. So meditation is the bridge by which I'm seeking to put this word into my life. I'm trying to absorb it, to become a mirror and expression of it in my life. So meditation has an eye to obedience always. 
And why we can rehearse this, I need it always to rehearse why. Here I am, a minister of the Word. But the Word, just to remind you of these things, it tells you the way things really are. It's the accurate picture of the world. It's, it tells you where the mines are in the harbor. It tells you where the mines are in the field, right? It tells you how to get from A to B. It, it explains life as nothing else does. And it's, it's, a, it's a means by which you can sift your life and examine your life. Brian Urey is an infectious disease doctor, right? And... Man, the Word is the greatest doctor for your infectious diseases. It will discover them. It will name them. It will help heal you of them. It gives you the MRIs of God, you know, so that you can see the realities in your life. And which of us, if we find out that we have you know, discover early as we knew one uh, seven-year-old girl, you know, others who found out that she was type one diabetic, diabetic. Is she going to ignore insulin therapy? No. And, and, and as, as the writer of, as Moses says in Deuteronomy thirty-two forty-seven, this word is your life. He said, it's not a casual word for you. It's your life. If your kidneys fail, will you ignore Dialysis. I love the old American Express. It's listed as one of the 10 best ads ever. <clears throat> Don't leave home without it, right? Carl Malden began it, but then Stephen King did, and even Jerry Seinfeld, and even Ro- uh, Roger Daltrey. Who, who knows who Ro- Roger Daltrey is? Ah, lead singer of The Who. Yeah, who's The Who? Right, okay. <clears throat> we could go there too. But... Um, that's, that's our need of this word to constantly cleanse me and discover the issues in my life so that they can be healed. He's dedicated to your healing. He's dedicated to your comfort and hope and well-being. He's dedicated to your entering into a wider, deeper, joyful love and humility for people. Let the word get its wonderful healing hands on you. <laughs> Give yourself to it. Give yourself to its ministry. Put yourself under God's care. And of course, it cracks open for you the gracious heart of God. You pry open a treasure chest of the glory of God. And you can't believe it. You can't believe the wonder and awe that's ready to fill your heart in the word of God. And it's not always easy, and I don't always experience that. Good night. I, it's, a, it's a constant battle to the day I die, you know, to, to scratch and claw and get rid of everything that stands in the way of that. But, but that's our whole point of living is to see and know and gaze at his magnificence. You know, we, we tour the world to see the magnificent things in the world and He's the one who made all the world. And he especially expresses himself in this place. Don't ignore the wonder and awe of God. Ready to break out for you. Okay, this must be advertisement day, but I love the AT&T commercial. You know, okay is not enough. 
So the patient's in there, you know, and he says, have you ever, he's talking to the nurse, have you ever worked with Dr. Francis? She says, yeah, he's okay. He's here for surgery. Yeah, he's okay. And the guy says, you mean just okay? And about this time, Dr. Francis, you hear him out, he's coming in and he shouts down the hall, guess who just got reinstated? And he walks in and he says, well, not officially. <laughs> he turns over to the guy and says, you scared? I said, yeah. He says, yeah, me too. Ah, don't worry about it. See you there. You know, that's it. And of course, the commercial, just okay is not okay. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, just okay is not okay with the word of God. Okay? And it's not, it's not my job. It is my job. But it's your glorious privilege to expose your life to this healing balm of the word of God. And as I said, it calls you to what? Ultimately, it calls you to the highest, most glorious way a human being can live on this earth. It calls you to be like God. It calls you to be like Christ. It calls you to moral heroism. Just okay is not okay. (laughs) And then finally, God fulfills his promises through his people. Specifically here through the unity of his people under the leadership, under godly leadership, which Joshua represents. And leadership was a huge thing here, and yet it is expressing, it doesn't matter if you lost Moses, you still have God. It doesn't matter that Moses is gone. The great Moses, there'll never be another Moses. And he's dead, and so let's go into the land. (laughs) It's kind of the feel of the first chapter. Joshua's in place, and though it is ultimately only God, it doesn't matter. We must have God. We must have his presence. We must be united, and and we must be honoring and submitting to the godly leadership that God uh, provides. And there's this fierce loyalty, you see, here. Uh, If you're looking at a map and you're on the uh, east side of the Jordan, these tribes have received their land. Israel has conquered the land of Sion and Og, uh, the the pagan kings there, and those people have their land. And there was a big ruha back in Numbers about them taking the land and and seemingly the indication is we've got ours, so y'all go on. But they said, no, no, we're not. We're going to help the people of it. We're going to help our brothers and sisters when they cross into the rest of Israel. And that's what that's about. It's about the continued unity of the people of Israel. And this was quite a sacrifice because as they go in to help their brothers and sisters, who's going to take care of their wife and children, their wives and children? God is. And this is a great act of faith in their part. They are committing themselves to the well-being of their brothers and sisters. They are committing themselves to help them and to enable them to possess their land as they were helped to possess this part of the land. And so you see here, and I want to say just a word or two about leadership, the encouragement that they give to the leadership. We, you know, God says, I'm with you. And they say to the leadership, we are with you. We are with you to follow you. We know you're not perfect. 
We know you've made mistakes. We are with you. We are with you as God will uphold you and call you to obey him. And they even say to the leaders, Joshua, you be strong and courageous. Isn't that encouraging? So God says it to to Joshua, you be strong and courageous. And he says, are y'all with us? Are y'all with us? Yes, we're with you. And we'll, <laughs> don't, we don't have to quote this part or do this part. We'll kill anybody that opposes you. But in that day and time, we'll get into that later. But here they say, we're with you. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. And I just want to encourage you to encourage your leaders in the church. Pray for them. And what were they concerned about? The concern was that they, that God would be with you. Only may God be with you. Pray that God will be with your leaders to equip them, to give them wisdom, to help them see their own sin, to, to lead us in the ways of Christ. Pray for them and give yourself to their leadership. But then there's unity, of course. I love, you know, unity is to be found. We could talk about this, like in Ephesians 4, it says that unity is to be found in the word of God itself as we come to a united mind about Jesus. And that critical, that we all are moving closer and closer to the word. And as we all move closer in our understanding of the word, we naturally become more united as a people. That's, that's essential. That's why we have a confession of faith, to help us be united in what we believe. But also, in, in this case, it's the unity of the people and their commitment to one another. As interestingly, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, I want you to be of one mind in what you do. Now, you might think that means you have to agree on everything. You see, think the same way. Now, in terms of Christ, yes, but... He says, I want you to be of the same mind and the same love. So the unity, the same mind, is essentially the same mind of love. And then later he says, here's the mind I want you to have. It's the mind of Jesus. I want you to be united in having the mind of Jesus. So that, in verse 3, you count one another as more important than yourselves. That's how unity is established in any church. We literally count one another as more important than ourselves. Like Jesus considered our salvation more important than his own well-being and safety. He gave himself away lavishly for our sake. And then we, with a similar moral heroism, give ourselves away to each other and count one another as more important than ourselves. So his word to the Eastern leaders was, love your neighbor as yourself. Count them as more important than yourself. And they did. They were committed to that. God give us grace to be united to one another and to be submissive to our leadership in this way. And just to close off, let's remind ourselves a, a little bit of the difference that we face, well, we'll get into this in, in the weeks to come, uh, how our war now is a holy war of love, a holy war of the good news of Christ, a holy war, not in the first place to announce judgment to the people, but to announce judgment has fallen on God's son so that you can be forgiven. 
And it's not just one land, it's all lands that we go to. Glorious, glorious application of this in our lives as the people call to reach the whole world for Christ. But I close with this little story that I read one time by, uh, and, and it's a quote from a book, Frank Koch, who uh, in the Proceedings, the magazine of the Naval Institute, I read it all the time. Um, he says this, he writes, having uh, been on uh, one of the, uh, uh, on the boat that he's talking about, two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing of the bridge reported light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern, the captain called out. Lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called to the signal man, signal that ship, we're on a collision course, advise you to change course 20 degrees. Back came a signal, advisable for you to change course 10 degrees. The captain said, send, I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. The answer, I'm a seaman second class, you'd better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I'm a battleship, change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light, I'm a lighthouse. (laughs) We change course. (laughs) Where do you need to change perspective? Do you need to change perspective in seeing that God is with you at all times, in all things, in everything that's happening in the world? Do you need to change your perspective about the word? Do you need to change your perspective about how involved you're going to be with the people of God? Not just on Sunday mornings, but you're looking for more and more opportunities because it's in unity with the people of God that we will reach this world. Only in unity, only working shoulder to shoulder. Counting us is more important than yourself. God bless us with new perspectives. Let us pray. Lord, give us your mercy and grace to embrace the glory of your presence, your precepts, the glory of belonging to your people. Oh, Lord, equip us to do your mission in this dark world. For Jesus' sake, amen.